Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, August 21st, 2016 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Yesterday, Jeb Bush tweeted, challenging the teachers unions and winning puts students first. And that's what I did in Florida. This was an echo of something he says a lot, like when he said in the debate, challenging the teachers union and beating them is the way to go. He says this same kind of thing in stump speeches. I took on the teachers union in Florida and we won. In fact, you may have noticed those two clips I played. There's some background music under the clips. It's because Bush strung them together and put it out in commercial or at least a web commercial form. I will play the last longish clip from that web commercial. And this was from an event a couple days ago in New Hampshire. He sat down with former CNN anchor Campbell Brown. She's now a charter school activist. And Jeb said this. Accountability really matters. The union does not want to get to a system where teachers are measured based on student learning. They hate anything that brings about more choices for our parents and students. And that's the problem. Hillary Clinton's embrace of them probably means that she's embracing this old, top-down driven system that isn't yielding the results that we need to assure that more and more of our students are college and or career ready. Okay, but remember that tweet, that was concise. I took on the teachers union and won. That's what he was saying. And the reason that formulation is important is that Chris Christie talks tougher than Bush when it comes to taking on the teachers unions. Who deserves a punch in the face? Oh, the National Teachers Union. So yeah, Christie talks tough about unions, but you know what? He didn't win. That's the thing Scott Walker always had over Christie. Christie denounced the unions. Scott Walker diminished them. So Bush is positioning himself as bringing about actual results. Hear that phrase I used, how he's positioning himself. It's, it's good, subtle point scoring. It's a distinction. The careful reader or listener will be drawn to it. And because of that, it doesn't matter. Careful, subtle positioning. We've got Trump. Trump is out there who just says, yeah, Jeb Bush, guy's got no energy. Nice guy, but no energy. Kind of a lame-o. He brushes, Trump brushes Bush aside with the word energetic. He doesn't brush him aside with a leak from a staffer who questions Bush. He doesn't even taunt his opponents using big words like Viga. Kennedy would have said Viga and then subtly draw a comparison to his opponent. Trump just flat out says Bush is lame. He's not going to work hard for you. Now, Bush could push back with force if indeed 
Bush could push back with force. I wonder if the guy actually has the energy. Because in an ad, anyone could be made to seem robust. But I watched that entire New Hampshire Campbell Brown event. And uh, Bush really did show command of educational issues. Explain Title I portability. Sure. Well, not everybody's Yeah, that's a nerdy, nerdy concept. Yes, it is nerdy. Title I is the money that... It is a nerdy concept, and Jeb Bush owned it. It means not funding poor schools, but funding poor students. So a student can go to, say, a charter school and bring funds with them. All right, it's good that Bush knows this. Do you think Trump knows this? No, Trump does not know this. But Trump knows to call Bush an unenergetic nerd who knows things. That's the Trump card. Trump is understandable. He's relatable. He's funny. Bush is rarely any of those things. Here, in that same Campbell Brown event, he was asked about trying to spur on charter schools when he was governor of Florida. Well, for starters, I really wanted to be the Mikey, remember the old Ovaltine ads? I wanted my state to be the, you like, you like Ovaltine, huh? <laughs> I, want, I wanted our state to be the state that was the most innovative state in K-12 education. And so we did try a lot of things. Mikey? Ovaltine ads? I, I think he means life cereal, as in try it, try, give it to Mikey, he'll try anything. Maybe he was saying they tried anything. But then he abandons the analogy like your aunt trying to twerk at a sweet 16 and saying, you know what, this isn't for me. Trump does not make cultural references he himself doesn't get. In fact, Trump is his own cultural reference. And unless Ovaltine is a paid sponsor of next season's Celebrity Apprentice, it's worthless, low energy. Of course, you got to ask yourself, what would happen if Trump were president? And that, my friends, is the subject of today's spiel. It is a look back from the future into a Trump presidency. And we'll be joined by Rob Hubel and Paul Shear. You know them. They're in every comedy going. They were in Human Giant, and they've created a great new special involving an aquarium-type bus. But first, there's market news out of Asia. As Fox Business News reported, the Vietnam, Vietnam's dong was basically devalued this morning. So now we debut a new segment, Market Scope. So joining us now is Sebastian Sinclair. He runs the Foreign Exchange Desk for Smith Warren Berkfeld. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here today. So, what sectors benefit from a strong dong? It's a good question. Uh, obviously, importers like a strong dong, but Vietnamese exporters, as, as strange as it may seem to the layman, can be really stimulated by a soft dong. Okay, so they like a soft dong. And, you know, unlike the Swiss franc or the U.S. dollar, the dong has never been hard as far as currencies go. So in the fourth quarter, where do you see the dong headed? Well, we can't say for sure when it comes to the direction of the dong, but if I were a betting man, I think the dong is going straight up. So you're saying the central bank's going to be pumping up the dong? It's not a matter of um, it's not a matter of pumping up the dong. Uh, left alone, the dong will rise by itself. Okay. Well, thank you, Sebastian. And next time we have big dong news, we will certainly have you on with a prediction. Okay, but I don't have any crystal balls. I listen. I'm not sure if that's a double entendre, but market scope. We're trying to make this like a serious segment for the show. I'm sorry. Sometimes the guys on the trading floor are amused by my humor. I hope I haven't offended anyone. That's okay. Thanks. Also, you have a handsome penis. I really am part 12-year-old R&I. But now, some guys who really know comedy. Here's my conversation with Rob Hubel and Paul Shear. It's about their new comedy special, currently available on Vimeo, called Crash Test. They said it couldn't be done, or they said it shouldn't be done. And we told them to go fuck them. You go straight to hell. You're jealous because you don't have a 60-foot glass bus. Seriously, take off your shoes. 
because your socks are going to be knocked off and we don't want to wreck your shoes. Seriously, tie your dicks in knots to hold in the pee that's going to want to come out because of all the fun you're having. I don't know, I got lost in the analogy. I like it. My guests now are Paul Scherer and Rob Hubel. Hubel? You seem unsure of who who you have. And if you had to pick one of us, it seemed like someone just gave who's doing, you. Who's doing better so far? Me and someone or Paul? Like slid you a card. And you're like, all right, I guess this is it. Talk to these guys. I was just talking to Obama. Now I'll talk to these idiots. I'll talk to Ron Rebel Ron and Rebel Paul Sherd. You might know these guys as two thirds of the comedy group Human Giant. The other third has a name I can't pronounce. It's Aziz Ansari. Oh, well, and you got that one. Yeah, you got that one. Tongue. Flew. Aziz is one of the guys in their new special where. They ride a bus and tell jokes and visit people <laughs> who are, you know, but you never knew, for instance, that Rob Corddry lives on the street. Yeah. Uh, guys, what is this special? And let me preface it by saying I freaking loved it. Oh, well, thanks. Oh, thanks so much. Well, Rob and I, we do a show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater uh, called Crash Test. And it's every Monday night at 11 o'clock. And we would always joke around, what if we took this show and put it on a moving bus and drove around L.A.? And it was something we talked about like as a joke for years. And then we finally did it. We <laughs> found, well, actually, Sheer found this bus in New York. There are these very touristy buses that go around Times Square, and they're, yeah. they're all glass. You may have seen them. And the audience on the bus, it's like they're sitting in a movie theater, like they're mm-hmm. facing out. So we paid stadium seating. Stadium exactly. seating. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so we paid them four hundred million dollars to drive the bus. Literally, or, that was the most. Expensive. The most All expensive. the budget <laughs> went to getting the bus from New York to yeah. LA. We should have saved money and just shot it on a Greyhound. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but so they drove some some guy drove it across the country, which we should have yeah. made a documentary about that. There's really only one of these buses. Yeah. yeah. Well, the there's deal? like two, I think, yeah. but they're like twelve million dollars. Yeah, they're that. ridiculous because they're outfitted with like microphones and lights, and you can see it in the special, but. The whole thing that we wanted to do was kind of create a, a comedy special unlike the ones that you're used to. Like, yes. it's normally a person with a microphone on a stage. We were like, let's make the stage Los Angeles. And we did it only once. So a lot of the times, too, when you see a good stand-up special, it's like, oh, there was two shows back-to-back and they take the best moments. This is kind of, we got on the bus and we did one long six-hour ride. Completely and comp- unrehearsed, though. It's like, uh, you know, we just told people, be in your front yard at 8.15. And then we'd call them, no, 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 it's going to be 8.30. It's going to be 8.30. Exactly. Be there at 8.30. So when you say you told people, you told some of the biggest yeah. stars in comedy. Well, just all of our, <laughs> yeah, we were very lucky that uh, that all of our friends live nearby in Hollywood. So, well, like, yeah. literally, we texted with Aziz. We're like, hey, Aziz, let's do this bit. And he's like, all right, where do you want me to meet you? I was like, this taco place. And he drove to the taco place, got out of his car, did the bit, got back in his car and left. Aziz! Aziz! <laughs> hey, man! Hey, no, behind you! Behind back you. here, man! Hey. It's Rob and Paul! What? Sorry, I, I don't know what's going on. What are you, it's Rob and Paul, your friends, Rob and Paul. You said you couldn't do our show. I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. My name's Raj. <laughs> your name is not Raj, you're Aziz! I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. I don't know. I, I'm just an Indian guy that likes tacos. I feel like you're kind of profiling me right now. We are friends with you. Profiling We've known you we... for a long I, time. You... I've seen you wear that jacket. Well, you're Craig T. Nelson then, I guess, right? You do look like Craig T. Nelson. I told you. I will take that as a compliment. Hey, do me. Do me. Who do I look like? Hold on one second. Hey. Yeah, that's Aziz. 
Wait a second. He just said it's a Z. I was going through your credits, and we should mention, I love How Did This Get Made. Oh, I love thank you your so podcast. much. I love it too, Paul. I thank love you. your podcast. I love you. Children's Hospital. Just started watching Wet Hot American Summer. You show yeah. up as an astrophysicist, Rob. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You in it? <laughs> I am. I'm in the second episode. Thank God. I yeah. thought that you'd be the only people in comedy not in this, <laughs> and that got me a little worried. But if you go through the credits, it would if you tried to make the graph. A Venn diagram? Well, forget Venn. It looks like when in a serial killer movie when they go into his lair (laughs) and there are all this red tape strings connecting everyone. The web of connectivity in comedy now, as exemplified especially by you guys, is insane. We have this community that you can basically just text and be like, come and do this thing. Right. And we'll do it for them. They'll do it for us. And that is unlike anything else. In a stand-up world, it's very much like I'm a stand-up, I'm a solo guy, I do my thing. We come from an improv and sketch background, so everything is always like, make my partner look good, let's have fun together. So when you look at shows like Children's Hospital or NTSF or The League, uh, it's all these shows where we just share the same pool. I think, too, that the comedy comedy world is a small little world, you know, and thankfully, like, people use each other, as Paul said, like, in their projects, you know, like, uh, all the guys from Wet Hot, we're friends with them, some of them are on Children's. There's just a lot of incest going on in a good way. This is, yeah. guys, I mean, positive you know, in a incest. very positive incestual <laughs> way. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's it's sort of a cool thing that I think is fairly recent. I don't know that it used to be that way. I feel like... I don't know what well, to attribute well, that I think to. There were, I think there were a couple things. I think there were fiefdoms way back when. I think that because there are so many fewer outlets, like mm-hmm. how could how could it even yeah. show itself? How could it present itself that people wanted to interconnect? But I do think comedy groups like the state, okay? They, mm-hmm. There are 10 people in the state. You guys went to NYU or you met? I you did. It. Paul okay, did. Okay, so, and did Aziz go to NYU? Yes, did, he did. Okay, so there's a little NYU connection. They were what, like? Five ten years before you yeah, NYU. Yeah, yeah. Now they do Wet Hot American Summer, so it's almost like they're patient zero, and they infect the next generation, yeah. and then the next generation gets infected in UCB. Well, and you know what it is too. Like UCB is an amazing connector of everybody, mm-hmm. but it's also you become genuine fans. Yeah. Like one of the things, one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of, and Rob was a part of this too was MTV, when we were doing Human Giant, our sketch show, they gave us the TRL studio in 42nd Street for 24 hours. We could do whatever we, we wanted. Human Giant live for 24 hours. And it, uh, part of it is on our DVD, the Human Giant DVD. But one of the cool things was, I remember Bob Odenkirk was flying into New York on JetBlue, saw it on MTV, and was like, I'm coming right now. Michael Sarah was in his hotel room. He was like, I want to come. All the people at SNL were like, oh, we're once we get off of writing tonight, we're coming over. So it, that's the vibe that's always kind of there. It's like, oh, I'm a fan of you. You're a fan of mine. And we all want to work together. And I think that is... It's yeah. There's sure there's competition. I want to do this. I want to get in this. But it literally is like, oh, I want to come play with you because I like what you do. Right. And I would say that for the last I don't know ten years, I've only worked with people that I know. I have like one degree of separation with for a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I mean, I, I and we're lucky to be able to do that. You know, I don't know if like I guess like in music they do that a lot. You know, like there's a mm-hmm. lot of crossover in music, and they're like, oh, if you like this band, featuring two yeah. chains, featuring yeah. little, <laughs> everything's so featuring. we're yeah. we're rappers. We're just we're like kind of like yeah. You guys like Parks and Recreation? You guys Parks and Rec, right? Aubrey Plaza actually lives on this block. She does? Yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Shh, there she is. Look, she's in her yard. What is she doing? Whoa. What the hell is she doing? Uh, Rob, I think she's digging a grave. We don't know that. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Hey, Aubrey. Aubrey. Hey, Aubrey. It's Rob and Paul. It's Rob and Paul. 
Hey! 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 What's going on? Nothing. Why are you working so hard at night in your yard with a shovel? Um, I'm building a small uh, pool in my front lawn because I, I want one. <laughs> Maybe in the past, when you had absurd stuff, you'd be like, wah, wah, you know, and I think yeah. here it's more like, well, let's play this as the most serious thing, even though it's the most insane thing I've ever seen. On, yeah, on children's, that's always a, like my favorite thing is when some of the dialogue is just so dumb and so absurd. <laughs> it, like it literally is just like it's wrong speak. It's just like, oh, these words aren't even you wouldn't put those words in that order. You know, There's 10 cc's of lidocaine. 20 cc's of Pitocin and 100 cc's of Cool Jazz. And like a good example of that is Henry Winkler on that show, who's very, he's like the sweetest man in Hollywood, everyone knows. But he's, he's also said to us several times, like, I don't know... I don't know what this means. Like, I'll say these lines. I'm yeah. happy to say them. And you tell me it's funny, so I believe that it's funny. I don't get this. Yeah. I don't, you know, that, and that happens sometimes. And like, I just think it's cool that he does the show and doesn't get it. What's it like to be a man? Well, when you get older, you, you realize that life is not just about being cool. You throw away your dungarees. You look for a lighter weight slack. A nice twill docker, for instance. Glenn, trust in Hashem. If you don't pay attention, you're going to get the belt again. But, you know, it's funny. We had on NTSF SDSUV, which is like a parody of like the CSIs and the NCISs, we had Kate Mulgrew, who is like a, you know, a theater actress, Orange yeah. is the New Black. You know, and she was doing the most. Star Trek. Star Trek, yes. yeah. Doing the most insane stuff. And one of my favorite days there was her and J.K. Simmons. Two, like, just stalwart, yeah. great, serious ass- yeah. Yeah, yeah. actors doing a scene about a drink called Cabeza de Mente, that if you drink it, you explode. And they <laughs> delivered this information as if it was the most serious thing. What do you and the boys at the FDA know about Cabeza de Mente? Three things. Zero, zilch, and nada. And Zilch just left town. And now every show has a show, has three rip-off shows, and has a parody show. Wow. Like a yeah. Hot yeah. Wives, yes, right? yeah, yes. Yeah. And I love, I love, what's the after show that your character oh, yes. hosts on Oh, yes, the Hot cool down, the Hot Wife <laughs> cool down, like Andy Cohen's uh, Watch What Happens Live. So a show like that, which is on, what is that, Hulu? Hulu, yeah. You, so you're on every single streaming service? Uh, I try to keep right? it all. I try to keep it all alive on every streaming. How <laughs> successful does it have to be to be successful? It got picked up for a second season. Well, you know, one of the cool things about Hot Wives of uh, Las Vegas, that I, which Rob is in uh, as a, a gynecologist. I'm, I'm genius in it. He's very. Say. I'm great. Uh, he's a gynecologist that they keep on calling Doctor Gyno. He's like, no, that's that's just the logo on my my thing. Uh, but uh, the first time we were out, we were the most popular series on Hulu, which was like really great. You know, I mean. I don't know how much how popular it has to be, like, but the cool they thing don't is even that, I don't know if they tell you. Does, does Hulu tell no, you? No, it's like, very we, like, hard we, to we get did numbers. One, we did one too that uh, we didn't create. We did one uh, on Yahoo called Burning Love, which was yeah. a parody of The Bachelor and all that stuff. And, and that was Ken Marino and his wife uh, Erica Oyama who wrote and directed that. And it was like yesterday on the plane here, a guy said to me, burning love, yeah. burning love. And I was like, how do you watch? Like, how do you keep track of all of these things? And why is that the thing that I did that stuck in your mind? But like people, all I know is that if two years after I did it, people are still coming up to me like, oh, people are watching that. Well, comedy well, could be like indie rock now. You yeah. don't need to sell out an arena. You could have a following exactly. of 15, 20,000 well, and, and I think, it's viable. Well, I think the idea too is that UCB started this idea of, 
like a rock club. It did feel like that. It's yeah. like you know, like yeah. this band could be your life. Like it feels very similar. That book feels very similar to the comedy community. It's like it's you know, you're doing it in these spaces. There's no two drink minimum. It's all ages. You're seeing crazy people come. You know, doing stuff that is so absurd. Like we used to do a show called Robot TV, which is like TV for robots <laughs> by robots. You know, and then you could see that was them. not a good show by the way. No, it was not a good show. But <laughs> it was, it was, we were able was to do it. It was really not a good show. <laughs> but I think the thing that's changed is the media now covers it all. So if you're on Netflix or if you're on Hulu, if you're on Vimeo, if you're on NBC, everybody's covering it the same way. So it just speaks to the fact that people are just going to go find whatever they want, wherever they want. It's almost their network agnostic. They're just sort of content driven by content. Oh, that sounds good. Well, that's the cool thing, too, is that like, you know, everyone's talking about this, but like more and more people just aren't watching TV anymore. So it's like it's all going to be online eventually anyway. So why not just be there already? I mean, that's why I like our things on Vimeo, because... They got it right away, and they were like, let's put it up on our site. You know, our audience, like, the way that they consume content is just, like, on demand. Like, that's how people want it now. No one's going to, you know, go home and tune in on Thursday night at 8 o'clock. And and how much do you think of it like this? I feel like everything that I watch is either told to me through a podcast or through a friend. Like, I don't watch it unless I know. Like, True Detective Season 2, I'm not watching. I'm watching Twitter. Twitter has a very pointed point of view about it. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to watch that one i love the first season like everyone's telling me about mr robot finally watch mr robot it's great but like i'm not sitting down at eight o'clock on a thursday to watch mr robot until someone tells me right do it and it's not like a regular tv show where either you watch it when it's on or you don't and you could let yeah. six episodes go by and let and let yeah. the wisdom of the crowd tell you worth it seemed worth it because totally it's a lot to commit it. well the other com- the other great thing that i'm finding out too is that those the things online have such a longer shelf life like if we did a show on tv right now it would be on for whatever 10 episodes yeah. and then it goes away for a year until you do 10 more but thankfully when you do something online now it's online all the time so like i did the show on Amazon called Transparent and there are people that came up to me like all when it, when it came out last September a lot of people came up to me but still like e- even like last week people were like oh my god I just watched Transparent that show I love that show blah 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 and it, it dawned on me like oh my god you can watch it whenever you you're, want on yeah. your schedule, and it just goes on and on. You're filling up your pop culture quiver, and you can use those arrows of entertainment whenever you want. Yeah. Quote me on that. Wow, that was a real – you wrote that one before this. <laughs> Rob Hubel, Paul Shear, they are – well, let me list their credits this way. Neither have been in a Michael Bay movie, and that's oh, it. That's yeah. about <laughs> it. That's it. Uh, it's better but one day, one day. Process one day. of but elimination, I am By the way, we met and I did shoot a sketch with with Michael Bay – Called, uh, we were his CGI creations. And like, so yeah. So yeah, you can find that, the history of CGI with Michael Bay and Just the two of us. promise me if Woody Allen comes calling, you'll be like, no, I don't want the, I don't want the chance to work with Woody Allen. <laughs> you'll be the first guys to say that. That's I a, know. That's a tough one, isn't it's it? Really, oh, really tough, tough one. it's tough. He's such a good director. Well, you know, every, but there's <laughs> no way to do <laughs> Rob Hubel, Paul Shearer, their new thing on Vimeo is Crash Test, a moving comedy special. It's extremely creative and funny. Thank you, guys. Thanks Thank for having you. us. I had Paul and Rob in my last two Transformer films. I could have said, let's just use actual inanimate objects. But with Paul and Rob, you get something a lot different. I mean, a lot of actors have too much ego to play a pole or a mop. But these guys, they take pride in it. We got it. Why would I want a gun to play a gun when these guys are just much better actors than guns?
And now the spiel, OTM take the wheel. My old friends at the public radio show on the media put this next bit together. It is in the form of a radio report from the future. It's a public radio report, so it's good that we'll still have public radio. But I would say it's based maybe like six years in the future, and it's looking back on what happens when Donald Trump becomes president. The piece was written by John Lovett, who's a former Obama speechwriter, originally ran in The Atlantic. It's really well done, and it ends, I think, with a good point. Here is looking backward on the presidency of Donald Trump. leader of India, Gandhi, who said, first, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they attack you, and then you win. Well, we won, didn't we? That's how President Donald Trump began his inaugural address, that clear morning in January of 2017. The fact that Gandhi never said those words was among the very least of our problems. Besides, the line drew rapturous applause from the crowd. According to a joint statement released by the White House and Nielsen, the Trump inaugural drew the largest television audience in human history. As President Trump himself pointed out in his second press availability that afternoon, the numbers would only go up once you factored in DVR. It's amazing, isn't it? how adaptable we are as human beings. It was only a year earlier that Trump was a punchline. Let's take a look at the pros and the cons of Donald Trump running for president. Pro, his campaign will do well in the flyover states. Con, his hair will do well in the comb-over states. That's very, it's very important. Very important, very important to the race. Obviously, everyone knew he could never actually get anywhere once the votes were cast. American democracy was too robust to let that happen. He was too dangerous to win, and to win would be too dangerous. It couldn't happen because it couldn't happen. And then, just like that, it did. It is 11 o'clock on the East Coast. We've got poll closings in California, Hawaii, Idaho. Boston at Faneuil Hall Marketplace right now. People are stopping to watch election results on CNN as we get closer to another important round. He won the nomination, and then he won the general election. It wasn't more complicated than that. Some have compared the tenor of the news on election night to the coverage of a tragedy or disaster. House Republican leaders are scrambling tonight. There's still a lot of confusion and disappointment. What a long, strange, and at times very angry trip it's been. But that's not exactly right. It wasn't like a meteor strike. It was more like finding out a meteor is heading our way. The anchors were dazed and somber. There was a real effort on the part of journalists to assuage viewers. Twitter was a shit show. But Twitter is always a shit show. Many immediately expressed their regret for voting Trump. Some had just wanted to register a protest. The next morning, President Obama declared a bank holiday to the chagrin of President-elect Trump, who blamed the fear-mongering of Washington elites for the massive sell-off roiling global markets. The market is in free fall. Trillions of dollars in value wiped out. Stocks have crashed. No one seemed more surprised by the returns than the Donald himself, who, at the one moment in his life when it was truly needed, 
couldn't muster the bravura for which he was famous. Being elected president made him seem tiny. Of course it did. Those were the darkest moments. Yet in the dull terror of those first days, there were the stirrings of redemption. You could see it in the pride that journalists, even cynical, sneering political reporters, took in covering this historic and surprising transition. You could see it on display in the meetings that President Obama and the White House staff held almost round the clock with congressional leaders and aides of both parties. The time for bickering is over. We must take our country back! But most of all, you could see it everywhere. Everyone was talking about the news. Everyone was watching and reading the news. There was a sense in those weeks between Election Day and Inauguration Day that Americans were all in this together, preparing, girding for what we didn't know. And maybe it's crazy, but we grew closer to each other, kinder, as we participated in this event as one country. Mr. President, the Republican majority here in the House stands ready to work with you to do what's best for our country. By the time President Trump raised his right hand and swore to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, the Constitution itself had been enlisted. We have an opportunity right now to take up the bill that the House just passed by an overwhelming bipartisan majority, enacted into law by unanimous consent, and send it to the president so he can sign it. In what Trump supporters called the Christmas coup and what everyone else called a historic act of national preservation, President Obama signed into law a bill which reasserted congressional primacy over the republic and stripped away the presidential prerogatives that had accrued over the previous century. In a talk at the Heritage Foundation, Chief Justice John Roberts, speaking only hypothetically, of course, suggested such a law would survive judicial review. You can imagine how that went. Anyway... There's no need to belabor the details of how the next four years unfolded. The government confirms that many more people were joining the nation's unemployment lines last month. A giant wall across our entire southern border to stop the children from coming. Good morning in this poll, the president's approval rating is at an all-time low. The budget crisis, President Trump's impeachment, Vice President Cruz's inauguration, the second budget crisis, it's all pretty straightforward. It was a painful and frightening time, to be sure. And while it didn't bring about the collapse of society, it did hurt us. Our economy suffered, as did our standing in the world. Relations with Mexico remained tense. One bright spot. We elected a man who loves to name things after himself. But all we named after him is the Trump recession. The irony was almost worth the price. And maybe it was a price the American people had to pay. Maybe Trump was a mirror, and we hated him because we hated what we saw in our reflection. We were coasting and knew it. A generation of elites prized shamelessness and ambition over virtue. Our newness and pride as a nation didn't protect us from decadence, but it did allow us to ignore it. Glued to our grievances and our phones as our culture and politics grew ever more brittle and shallow and crass. In the end, Trump is what America had earned. Trump is what America deserved. Trump was our reckoning. And while his rise to power was born of our failings, it also forced us to find our strength. 
It's amazing how adaptable we are as human beings, isn't it? Trump saved us. Now it's all up to President Fieri. Hey, how you doing? I'm here on the rooftop with this fantastic recipe of making some flank steak kebabs. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi, we later learned, was actually three people, a Dalmatian and a spoonful of cilantro. Though history now regards Joel Meyer as part madman, part monster, there was a time when he was the Gist's managing producer. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. He was the creator of something called the Panoply Network, a crude precursor to the storytime nipple clamp so popular with today's tweens. The Gist. Though its purpose is largely lost to history, archaeological evidence suggests the gist offered advice to indigenous peoples on the best use of corded earthenware for drawing water from rivers and ponds and for holding votive offerings at sacred places. You're welcome for that service, and thanks for listening. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com. We make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.